0: One of our brothers come up and share a devotion. His name is Jameson. And if any of you guys recognize that name, you know that you're in for a treat. Jameson is a is an awesome brother. He's just, we call him a giant because he's just, oh, he's, he's just a, such a, just a, oh, man, I just love Jameson. I can't even say enough about Jameson. And I'm sure if you've ever spoken to him, he just, he loves the Lord. And he just loves ministering to people and just encouraging us. He's encouraged me many times. So I know that you will be encouraged So would you guys join me in welcoming Jameson to the mic?
1: All right, good to see all of your smiling faces out here tonight. (laughs) Um, Let's go ahead and pray. Um, Dear Father, we just come before you, and we're just so thankful that we could call you that. We're thankful that we could call you our Father in in heaven, and um, thank you so much that uh, you just listen to our requests, God. So I just come before you tonight and um dishonored to to speak on your behalf, Lord, and nobody is worthy of that task, God. And um I pray God that you would just cover all of our um shortcomings, Lord, that you would um just speak to your people tonight, God. And um Lord, I pray that we would hold on to what is good and, and discard what is not. Um and that you just bless each one of these brothers and sisters. Um God, just with what you with what you want them to receive tonight, God. So, um, I really just ask this in your name, Jesus. And we pray, Amen. Amen. Okay. Um, I could spend hours pointing out all of my inadequacies in public speaking, but then there wouldn't be any devotion time left. Um, so we'll we'll just jump right into the devotion. Um, the first verse I want to start off with is this, found in Romans chapter one, eight verses 8 and 12, so feeding along the theme of Romans, I didn't plan that, but uh, it says, and it's, just join in when you get there. It says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve in my spirit in the gospel of the Son, is my witness how unseasonably I make mention of you, always in my prayers, making requests, if perhaps not last by the will of God, I make s- succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established. That is, that that I may be encouraged together with you, among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. Um, And if you just flip real quick over to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. If you know where Psalms is at, it's after Psalms. I just say that because I like Psalms, so I usually know where that's at. How many of you, this is a first time out here tonight. All right. Let's welcome those newcomers. Wow, so enthusiastic. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right, starting in in verse 7 through verse 12. Chapter 4 verse 7 through 12. It says, "Then I returned and I saw a vanity under the sun. There's one alone without companion. He has neither son nor brother." Yet there is no end to all his labors, nor is his eye satisfied with riches. But he never asks. for whom do I toil and deprive myself of good? This also is vanity and grave misfortune. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? one may be overpowered by another two can withstand him and a threefold cord is not quickly broken We'll, we'll revisit some of this so um so i wanted to talk about just two two things that um i think the lord has put on my heart this last last few weeks big i've been sort of in the um in the woodshed in a good way of just learning on these topics and it has to do with fellowship and friendship um and notice, I I distinguish those two different words: there, fellowship and friendship. Um, you know, fellowship is what we have in common in Christ. It's a partnership. It's that identity that we call ourselves Christians, where you can say, "Hey, brother," "Hey, sister," and it's that like-mindedness in Christ. And I actually kind of wrote out this definition, so bear with me and see if it if it makes sense and. Um, it says fellowship This is our partnership and community with fellow Christians in regards to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are united by the spirit of God through the saving power and for this power is made available for Jesus' death for our sin, on the cross for our sins and his resurrection 3 days later in which he conquered death. This also is to us the hope of eternal life where we will live in God's presence with our brothers and sisters in Christ to ages without any end. We'll be adoring him chiefly worshiping him only and loving him completely by choice and in response to his perfect love for us. In this fellowship we now have with God and with each other, we partner and build one another in our God-given passion and pursuit of his gospel. And this truth is the foremost and highest priority of our life's focus. Jesus has commanded us to love one another even as he has loved us. And it's by our love for one another that the world will will identify us as his followers. And so it sounds very technical, (laughs) Pretty much, and that's why I wrote it down because I couldn't even say that. I, I stumbled when I read it, um, and and I think that's kind of what fellowship stays as for us. A lot of times, it's kind of technical. It's kind of that once a week, corporative sort of sense where we get together and we worship God together, and it's and it's refreshing and it's awesome meet with the with the body of Christ. Um, but that's our common interest right? That, that's, our, that's our common focus, the common direction that we're going is that we all know that Christ is our Savior. He's, he's forgiven us of our sins individually. Um, Paul also says in the book of Corinthians, we are members of this body, though. And and that's a little bit why I want to distinguish the, the difference between friendship and fellowship. Um, but, but they're closely related at the same time. Um, so when I think about friendship. I think a good place to look is always to look back to Jesus because he's pretty much a perfect model for everything. Um, and, and there's many other examples in, in the Old Testament, New Testament of friendships. Um, but look at Jesus. You know, uh, he he said that you know he didn't call us just his servants. We're not just these employees in in the kingdom corporation, but he called us his friends because he makes all things known to us you know we 're not just look, look at corporations you know they have they have lots of people with the common bond they have um, some of them even have friendships but what 's the difference between us and our relationship with god he's he 's not called us just servants but he 's also called us his friends he 's made things known to us um, and and he really is the perfect z- example uh, for friendship i could I could say a lot of you in here are um are very good examples of, of true friends, and, um, I know most things I've learned about good friendships in my own life has come as a result of having Christ as the center of my friendships, um, and, and looking to Christ, it was like, what, what made him a good friend? You know, what, what was it about Jesus that stood out that made him a good friend, and, um, what makes you want to be Jesus's friend? Um, there's a lot of people that don't want to be Jesus's friend. I mean, you could you could go out to to Albertsons or Vaughn's just nearby, and you could ask people if they want to accept Jesus as their friend, um, but they don't really know Him in that sense. Um, and and talking about friendship and need of friendships in the body of Christ is, that I feel, uh, there's this great need in terms of many many of us come out here each week by week, and I, I know there's many of us that we could find anybody to pray for us. We could find anybody in here to kind of share our struggles with but there's not too many people um that we're building our lives with there's not too many people that we're partnering on a daily basis or even throughout the week it's kind of like um i, I told my brother it's like the sunday update <laughs> where you go to church once a week and it's kind of we just unload everything all at once and it's almost burdensome sometimes it just um all of our our tendencies is to, to share our struggles a lot of the times not the joys and so when that kind of compiles a week's worth and it's, it's almost as our fellowship becomes burdensome in some ways. It's like it's just a, a download of all the all the things that went bad in our life for this week. And um almost to the point where you you're you're sort of avoiding needy individuals week to week. You're kind of like, Oh no, here comes that guy again. I know I'm not gonna be here for two hours listening to him and, and usually I'm that guy, so I, I appreciate all you guys who, who spend that time listening to me. Um <laughs> and and, and the amazing part about Jesus is that you see that he he chose twelve people twelve knit guys that he sort of discipled and he he was close to him um and I think that's that's a big that's a big step and friendship is choosing friends that we don't do it's like we're not very intentional is i think something that the Holy spirit um has been pointing out in my life is that we're not very intentional about building these relationships out of church we're kind of like Oh there's that brother I haven't seen for 2 months you know <laughs> let's let's talk and see what, what sin I can sniff out of his life and <laughs> that's probably why he was gone you know when it could have been like a death in the family or could have any of these things and um it, it, but you see the see the kind of the, the issue I'm trying to to address here and um and I think it's a lot of practical things about friendship and how many of you in here were at home school I know this is a random question so yeah, significantly less amount of people who were not. <laughs> um, the point is, for for my life, my social skills were kind of few and far in between. And so building friends hasn't always been really an easy thing for me. And I kind of miss out on a lot of those practical steps that it takes to build friends. Um, and looking into the character of Jesus and, and who he is is a perfect place to find those practical steps of friendship, you know. First, you know, hey, he chose some people that he was going to be friends, you know. He sought the Father he, about everything that he did in his life, and I think that's a good step. Um, we don't haphazardly choose friends, but on the same time, um, Jesus was committed to those 12 men um, until the very end. Um, and, and just look at the character of Jesus, um, and you'll see those different characteristics that made his friendship thrive. I mean, how many of you knew that Jesus was before the earth was created and that he was in heaven? I like the hand server. Sorry. Yeah, you know, Jesus was around before creation ever came about. He didn't have a need for friends. He didn't. He didn't have a need to create anybody. He could have stayed in heaven. He could have been there, unavailable to mankind, even after the point of creation. He didn't have to do anything. But he he kind of became a missionary in a sense to us. He came down to the earth. Um, You know what a big thing about friendship is? Is that it's probably the hardest pill to swallow. It's vulnerability. You know, we don't like being vulnerable with people. We're we're scared of people rejecting us, and or we'll, we'll talk to somebody we know we'll never have to talk to again, and we'll spill everything out just because we, we don't have to be afraid of that person um, when we come back to church because they don't even know who we are after two weeks have gone by. Um, but you look at Jesus. You know, he was he was God, and he came down. He became a man. He came down into a manger. How how vulnerable is that from from the state that which he came, and that was just on our behalf you know he didn't need to do that he didn't he could have stayed enjoying the pleasures of heaven he could have been in perfect communion with the friends that he already had so to speak within the godhead him and the father had perfect fellowship and yet he came down and he he lowered himself to to a bunch of people that were definitely outclassed by who he was um and when we look at friends i think we have a lot of high standards and, and that's not, not a bad thing um proverbs i think it's proverbs 12 it says that the the righteous chooses his friends carefully because the wicked will lead them astray but i think we take that a little too critically (laughs) like the righteous chooses his friends carefully and we just stay on the carefully part but we never get to the choosing our friends part just because oh no that person doesn't have the same interests as i do or this person doesn't hold the same convictions as i have so we can never we can never mesh somewhere in the middle um And I know I do that a lot in my life where as far as like, well, that person, I'll even have personal things in my life where that person's not interested in me as a friend, so I'm, why waste my time? Um, And so we have to have that fortitude to take a risk sometimes and to, um, just as Alfredo was saying not too long ago, that, you know, some of his best friends he has nothing in common with, but those are some of the greatest spiritual encouragements and um, reinforcements in his life, and... I don't know if those were ex- his exact words, but that's what I took from it. Um, the danger of being a listener, and um, <laughs> yes. So, um, point being is, you know, take take some practical steps for friendship. Um, it, like we read in a, in Ecclesiastes, it, hey, you you don't need friends. You know, we get in this mentality that that God is enough, God is sufficient, and I don't say that um irreverently because god is god is sufficient god is enough for every need you know the bible also tells us in the psalms to not put our trust into man not to put our hope into man and the son of man whom is, there is no strength um our, our dependency for salvation that that fellowship factor isn't dependent upon man you know our fellowship is with god and then with his family um and, and so we are the body of christ we have this this spiritual reality that we're living in um and sometimes we do fairly well with that knowledge that God is our savior and he's enough for me and then we come to a point where we get all dried up in our spiritual walk and we're wondering you know where to turn and, and God's desire to use the body of Christ in our life and we've, we've kind of got this dissonance where it's hard to get there it's hard to receive because we're, we're missing out on that friendship factor in our lives I mean again how many perfect strangers do you like sharing all your stuff with <laughs> and, and usually we wait till that moment of you know we've 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 fallen into some some sin or um some circumstance we weren't expecting comes up and we kind of find ourselves withdrawn from the body of christ and then kind of double wounded we feel that nobody cares because they don't know about these things in our life um, and so it's like we we have to make that effort for for the grace of god and i know there's many of in in here who've made that effort before towards friends and um, and so this message is not just towards those who are looking for friends, but those um, who need to be friends at the same time. You know, um, we, we can't we can't make those same we can't regard people to the flesh. Some of the some of the greatest, meaning, most meaningful friendships to me are the ones where I'm giving the most, and and that's the mentality I think that if, if you could capture anything about being a friend is to to be one that that sacrifices, to be one that gives like Jesus did. He said that. No, no greater love has a man than this than than a man would lay down his life for his friends. Um, how can you build a friendship when you're always coming with all the expectation that, um, oh, this person has to listen to my problems. This person has to come and hang out with me when I'm I'm down and I'm struggling with this today. It's like, what about that person you're talking to? You know, um, and and. So, the realization of just who I am, that I'm a selfish person, and that's pretty much why I've not had a lot of friends for my whole whole life experiences because I'm always like, give, 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 give me, but never looking, you know, never looking to see how I can serve somebody else. Um, and, and so, those kind of all scattered here, um, but my encouragement is to pursue godly friends, be intentional about it, just as you're intentional to read your bible every day to pray every day be be pursuing people um that god places on your heart throughout the week even you know ask for ask god for encouragement to somebody you can give maybe on a daily basis and ask ask for it by name um ask for him for his healing and that fortitude because there are seasons we walk through where we don't have a lot of close companions you know paul said i have just basically one like-minded companion that was timothy and you saw all of his the years of his ministry you know Um, He had many people that he still loved. On the other hand, he didn't stop pouring out to. Um, So with that, let's just pray and ask God that um, he would just direct us. Um, Father, we we just come before you again, and we're just so grateful for your grace. And thank you so much for um, being the greatest friend and greatest role model for our friendships, Lord. Um, The... We have something that's greater than a friendship, our family bond, um, that we'll, we'll share communion with you, God, forever and eternity. Um, so I pray, God, that you would just direct us towards those people that you would have us to, to love, Lord. Direct us, um, open our eyes in ways that we can serve one another um, and, and build on the solid foundation of, of, your, of the fellowship that you've given to us in Christ, Lord, the love that you've given to us. I pray, God, that if anybody in here um, needs to talk about these issues, Lord, or um, needs healing, God, I pray that you would provide that for them. I pray that you would give them boldness to be vulnerable um, and that you would give others, Lord, just a concern to, to look to those who, who who are maybe impoverished in the area friends, Lord. Um, you are the greatest friend, Lord, and you are sufficient. So we commit this night to you. We love you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thank you, Jameson. It was good. Friendship, man, it's, 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 it's a blessing. Like I, I counted a blessing in my own life just to, to see the friends that God has blessed me with, just the godly people that, that he's put around me just to encourage me. And I pray that we would all find that, that joy and that same blessing. And uh, like Jameson said, not, a, not being afraid to be vulnerable. I know, especially for us guys, like vulnerability is a, <laughs> It's not something that we're we're used to. We just we're men. I remember one time I was asked, "Who's your best friend?" I was like, "Best friend? Like I don't I don't call my friends best friends. Like like oh, you're my best friend. You know, girls they do that. That's my BFF. But you know, I don't know. Like I didn't I didn't really think. And then I thought about it, and Lord truly has blessed me with a a solid group of of brothers that that I have committed to to share life with and just do life with. And I pray that you would all find that and pray about that. And um, but yeah, thanks, Jameson. That was a that was a good word so tonight we 'll be in we 'll be in Romans chapter sevens chapter sevens chapter seven there 's one seven Romans chapter seven excuse me it 's just because the mic is high i think i 'm trying to I think the mic is high for a reason isn 't it Rob? Oh, you know the mic is a little bit higher tonight because i 'm not going to be the one sharing with you guys from the word we 're actually going to have josh and, and he 's a little taller, so that 's why the the mic's high. so if you guys welcome Josh up tonight.
2: How's it going? It's been a little while, huh? so blessed to be able to come and hang out. And, uh, God, what a powerful word, huh? Jeez, you know, I just thank God for Jameson. He always uh, ministers to my heart, always has a sweet word. Hey, Kyle. Good to see you, brother. Um, yeah, so I've been down in Orange County, uh, ministering the men's study down there on Tuesday nights, and I haven't been back here in a long time, but um i'm so happy and blessed to see the family still coming together lifting up the word of god blessing our king through devotion to him and his word and i've heard great things that the brothers have been doing great things here and you guys have been ministered to and encouraged and so i'm just so blessed to hear that but um without taking up too much time i thought we'd dive right into the word and uh and bless the lord before no yeah we're gonna pray let's pray father um Lord, we just say thank you so much for being such a great king to us. You have gone so far. You did, Lord. You came down to this earth and you became our friend. You didn't have to do that. You're our God. And we love to submit to your authority and bless you as servants. But for some reason, you want to call us friend. And I want to do life with you, Father. I want to do life with you all the days of my life. For eternity and beyond. And I do pray that that word would resonate in our hearts tonight, that we would grab on to one another and that we would encourage and build up and embrace that we would not just do business, but that we would do life together in friendship. And so tonight, Lord, as we are encouraged by your word, I pray that Jesus would be exalted, that we would recognize what it means to live according to your words and walk by your spirit alone. Please open our eyes to see your truth. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Since we will be looking at uh, Romans chapter 7 tonight, the law, I thought it was only appropriate to do a little song found in Psalms chapter 19 if you have your hymnal. If you do not, get one. It's the King James Bible. And, uh, I won't be reading from it tonight though, because I think that, uh, as we dive into the text, King James makes it a little complicated on uh, Romans chapter seven, we will look at the ESV, but if you have your Bibles turn to Psalm, gosh, am I on the, yeah, sorry, my page is up. There it is. Yeah. Psalm 19. Are you there? And if you don't know the song, try and learn it fast. All right. It uh it starts in chapter uh seven. I'm sorry, it tar- it's chapter nineteen, verse seven, and it goes all the way to verse eleven. Yes. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the law of the Lord, do you know it? If you don't just listen, you can just sing with me, or you can just listen. It goes like this: the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple, more to be desired are they than gold, yea than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey. And the honey conversate. The statues of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Verse 9. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and the honeycomb. Verse 11, moreover by them is thy servant warned, is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. It's true. It's true. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimonies of the Lord are true. Righteous altogether, pure, clean. They are perfect. More to be de- desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. they sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. And so tonight as we look at the law, as we look at the Word of God, and we see it for what it is and what its desire is in Romans chapter 7, we will not run from it, but we will embrace it, In complete understanding. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 7. If you don't, you can listen. Romans chapter 7. We will cover the entire chapter. But we are diving into a new book, I see. Uh, Seven chapters. Six chapters have already passed in your devotion time, in your study time, and you're reading through the Word. And so I'm going to briefly cover the first six chapters and lay a foundation of what Romans is all about. And then we will cover Romans chapter 7. See, many of you are like, you, you all clapped and everything, you know, when it came up, but then you're like, oh great, Josh is teaching. He's going to teach for like two hours, man. Just came on the wrong night. Well, the book of Romans. Who are the Romans? The Romans, yes, not Roman soldiers. Yes, not the Roman citizens. Not the people of Rome. But the Christians in Rome. What Christians? Well, scholars say that the Christians probably came from the time in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit came down and these 3,000 were converted. They went back to Rome, and there they started a church. This church, though, you must understand, Paul has never been to and never got to. Yes. Paul, the apostle, the one who traveled from place to place, establishing churches, never made it to Rome. It was his greatest desire. Why? Well, hey, all roads lead to rome don't they and so if all roads lead to rome then that means all roads that lead to rome also go out of rome and so if you can preach the gospel in rome then the gospel will be sent out from all roads in all directions to all places only if you could reach the capital and establish a solid church there the cool thing is is the lord had already done a powerful work in rome and that they didn't necessarily need to be corrected on a bunch of different things They just needed a solid foundation of the gospel of grace. And that is what Paul attempts to do in the book of Romans. You see, since Paul had never visited the church, he didn't know any specific problems. As we look at most of the epistles, we see Paul doing what? Correcting churches, calling them out for the wrong things that they're doing, and encouraging them in things they should be doing. What do we see in Romans? None of that, really. Not much of it at all. Definitely some encouragement, but... Not much correction at all. We see a lot of doctrine and theology laying a strong foundation for this church that was needed. What we also see when we look at the book of Romans is a book that will radically change anyone's life who reads through it. The old church father, John, what is his name? Christon, Christon's Tom, I'm sorry, I can't pronounce his last name. But this church father would have the book of Romans read to him every single week for 18 years. Yes. The next church father, Augustine, came to Christ through this book. As he was sitting under a tree, he had picked up a Bible and started reading through it. Where did he open up to? Romans chapter 13. And his mind was grabbed as he read a specific verse speaking about running from sin. He attempted to read through the entire book there in that moment and he was converted before he finished St. Augustine. Then we have who? Martin Luther who was radically changed as well. Was living in a time when the Catholic Church was putting all this legalism upon the people of God. And he read through Romans and saw what? Freedom from the law. Grace and mercy bestowed upon him. Radically changed. And he brought forth the reformation of the church. Meaning what? A huge revolution that took place within the Catholic Church where all of these people woke up and became believers and revival broke out in the church. And that's why we're able to celebrate and have this freedom in Christ today. We are not under any kind of standard of the Catholic Church. There are many Christians in the Catholic Church. I don't want to smash it uh, here off the pulpit. That's for another time. I won't do that. No, just, sorry. Forgive me. Um, But on top of that, John Wesley as well, one of the great church fathers, the great Puritans, came to know Christ through the book of Romans. He stepped into a church. He says he was strangely moved as he listened to the pastor preach and was converted there in that moment. 75% of preachers would say that if there was any one book that they had to preach through or could only preach through in the Bible, it would be the book of Romans. This book has much doctrine and most of the doctrine you will need as a Christian. You've got to read through it. You've got to study it. You've got to know it. Very few pastors dare to preach through it, though, because some say you should be preaching for a good 15 years before you even touch this book. Because it is so radical, it is so foundational, it is so uh, necessary in doctrine and theology that you would not want to mess it up or misinterpret what it is being said. And so we will dive into it tonight, the book of Romans. And what you'll see in the first six chapters is uh, Paul building, building and building and building upon uh, his previous chapter. And if you've been reading through it, you know. You kind of see what's going on here. In Romans chapter 1, we see a greetings and salutation. From who? Paul. Paul the Apostle. Paul was probably the greatest apostle in the church. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And he was radical. He'd given up his entire life to follow Jesus. He was, remember who? A man who was killing Christians, was converted by Jesus himself, showed up and blasted him with light, blinded Paul. And Paul was converted when he had an encounter with Jesus, our King. Paul sends a greetings and salutation, wishing that he could go to Rome and meet with the people. In chapter one, and then you see him talk about righteousness and living by faith. And a passage that you know well, which I'd like to read through. I will not, uh, I will not expound on it, um, and we will not go into detail in any of the other chapters this much. But a passage that you know well from Romans chapter one, starting in verse. Well, 16, the most prominent verse you know there. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. I am not ashamed of the gospel, Paul says. Oh, that's a whole message, huh? Isn't it? And then we go on to verse 18 there in Romans chapter 1, if you there. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodly and unrighteous men whom by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And Paul goes on to explain how people, because they desire wickedness, suppress the truth within them. What does that mean? It means that the truth is presented. It's right there in their face. They can see it through the attributes of God and they choose to live in wickedness. Maybe you were there in your life and you understood that. And he talks about because people suppress the truth, they're given over to even more wickedness you could ever imagine things like homosexuality are mentioned here in this text giving into the passions of their lust he goes on to approach that topic in romans chapter one in romans chapter two because of their unrighteousness because of their wickedness we see him establish what the judgment of god the judgment of god god is righteous he is a righteous judge and he will judge those who have sinned against him he has to He's a good king. A verse that you know well is found in verse 4 of Romans chapter 2. Or do you presume on the riches of the kindness and forbearance and patience? Not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. You've quoted it many times. It is the goodness of God. It is the kindness of God that would lead a man to repent repentance. We see God's judgment and the law moving throughout the rest of the chapter as he establishes his position and his judgment against wickedness. Then he moves into chapter 3, showing God's righteousness upheld despite the fact that we are wicked and his belief, and the people who follow him still choose to do wicked things. The famous scripture there in Romans chapter 3, two of them that you know well, uh, Romans 3.10, what? There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who seek God. And then Romans 3.23, yes, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, establishing that we are wicked sinners. You've heard of the Romans road. It's all found here, which is the road to salvation, Um, quoting these specific verses. So Paul establishes that we are wicked and that there are none who seek God. And then he goes into chapter 4. I love verse 3 here. This is powerful. One that you know well. Even though you're wicked and God is a righteous judge and you must judge the earth, how can you not be judged? Simple. Even Abraham could do it in the Old Testament. It says in verse 3, For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him righteousness. All you've got to do is believe. Believe in God and follow after His commandments. Seek His ways and you shall be saved. Abraham did this promise that is realized through faith, we get to Romans chapter 5, which is what? Justification. Justification. Being made just as if you have never sinned. And then righteousness being put into your account. I'm speaking all doctrine and theology here. I know very hard to apply, but I hope that you will understand, or as you have read through the chapters already, you already understand what I'm hitting on. Look at verse 1. Very powerful verse in chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, by what? Believing on Christ Jesus. We have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know that? Before you had peace with God, you were at what? War with God. Yes, you were at war. You don't want to be at war with God. But because you simply believed on Jesus Christ, you, you have peace now with the Father. Justification? is what? Your sins being forgiven, made perfect in God's eyes, and then the righteousness of Christ being imputed into your account. You have been given all the good deeds of Jesus Christ. You will be blessed as Jesus Christ should be blessed because He lived a life perfect for you and gave it to you. That is justification. And then we see in Romans chapter 6, being dead to sin. Dead to sin. Because you have been justified, you are now... Dead to sin. What does that mean? Sin does not have power over you anymore. That's right. You're free. What does that mean, Josh? I'm free to stop sinning? Yes, absolutely. This is important. See, the, gosh. These things are so important. It's a sweet little package right here. Five, six, seven, and 8 is like the premium package, okay, if there ever was one. You're getting it. You've been justified. You've been made right with God. Then, because you've been justified, the Spirit of God has actually come and lives in you. What Spirit? The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And that means what? That you actually have power to overcome the sin in your life. What does that mean? That means that when sin comes at you and looks you in the face, like, guys, something pops up on the Internet you know you shouldn't look at, you actually have the power living in you to overcome that. But because you click on that and choose to go there, you are saying to God, I love to sin. I know you've given me the power to overcome this, but I'm going to go and do it anyways. I like being in bondage, I like being a slavery to sin. Same thing with you girls. When you know you should do something that is right and you choose to do what is wrong, you are being a slave to sin. And God has set you free from that. You are dead to sin. You don't have to give into it ever again if you don't want to. That is Romans chapter 6. The power of the cross has set you free from sin. Yeah. You have the power to live free from sin. And then we get to the sweet chapter of Romans chapter 7. Oh Lord, thank you for Romans chapter 7. You want to know why? Because man, I was set free when I heard this chapter taught to me. Yeah, it was about four or five years ago when I was in Mexico with John Corson. I'll never forget it. We were in the fourth month. And at the three-month mark, we stayed there in Mexico for four months and got taught by this guy who lived on this orphanage. What happened was at the three-month mark, John said to the pastor that was ministering to us, said to all the brothers, you can go home if you want at the third month. He said if you don't want to stay for the last month, you can go home. And there was about four or five brothers that went home. I couldn't believe it. I mean, there was this big controversy like when he brought it up because some brothers did want to go home. And I'm like, dude, you're crazy, man. I ain't going home. I came here for four months. I'm going to stay here for four months. And i got to receive all that God has for me. Some guys are missing their girlfriends. Some guys are missing their mommy. You know, it's like, I mean, it's like, okay, no, no, not me, man. i got to stay here. And brothers, if you're listening to the message, sorry if I just dogged you, but man, I couldn't believe you guys left. Romans chapter 7 came the week that you left, so, uh, but that's exactly what happened. All of a sudden, when the brothers had left that were going to go, he opened to Romans chapter 7, man, and I couldn't believe it. It was like a burden was lifted off my back, a new understanding. They say that only 13% of the church understands this passage. Only 13% and only 3% actually apply it to their lives daily. Only 3%. This chapter will revolutionize your life if you can understand what it is saying. Sometimes when you read through you could go home and read this tonight and you think that because of his vocabulary, it just boggles your mind. You don't know the terms. You can't define what it's saying. And so you just pass up chapters like this over and over and over in the book of Romans But these are the things that got in Martin Luther's head that caused the Reformation to break loose and revival to break out in the lives of Christians. It's chapters like this. And so we have the great opportunity of diving into it tonight. Are you ready? Put on your thinking caps. Think with me. Stay with me. Don't miss this. Let's be the 13% that understand it, but also the 3% that walk away and start applying it tonight to our lives. Amen? We have great opportunity. Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Are you there? Mm. I'm going to read out of the ESV because it's a little bit easier to understand, okay? And those of you who have uh, New King James, you'll do fine. Uh, we'll define terms and we'll work through it together, okay? Romans chapter 7, verse 1 says this. Paul speaking to the believers. Do you not know, brothers... For I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives, question mark. Stop there. Yeah, that was a question mark. Did you like that? Okay, listen. He says, brothers, I'm speaking to those who understand the law. Now at the surface, many would think that what? It's speaking of the Jew who understands the law of the Old Testament. Wrong. Wrong. This is not the phrase here. The phrase, the law here, is speaking about the judicial system. Understanding the law. What law? Like breaking the law. Running a red light. Understanding what it means to break the law. Now, we can obviously reference it back to the Old Testament and the law because it worked very similar to the judges and the way that society works. Most of society and their traditions are built upon Judeo-Christian ethics and morals and so he is speaking about the law that a judge would lay down do you not know about the law who does that apply to everyone of course you know the law because it has been instituted in your life since you were born do you not understand the law that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives what is he speaking about as long as you live you have to abide by what the laws of the land huh when you die do we, do we make the dead man abide by the law? There's a dead man laying over here, and he just killed someone, but then he killed himself. Do we take him to prison and throw him in there for... No, no, it doesn't apply to him anymore. He's dead, okay? So a person is dead. One plus one is two. A person who is dead does not have to live by the law, right? Simple enough. Then he says in verse two, for a married woman is bound by the law to her husband while she lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Okay. All of a sudden, Paul brings in this illustration of marriage. Now get this straight really quick. This is not a text to pull to define marriage. This is not a text to help illustrate divorce and to help illustrate what happens when a person dies. This is not the meaning of this text. Many people will take it out of context and try to say that Paul is speaking about marriage here. He's not speaking about marriage at all. He's actually bringing forth an illustration to help us to understand what he is trying to say here. Okay, So he is illustrating this point that he's about to make by saying a woman who lives and is married to her husband, if the husband dies, she is free from him by law, right? Right? That's Even our society says that. If if a man dies, does the woman have to stay married to him till the, for the rest of her life? No, he's dead. There's no more law. She's free from it. Okay. So now that she is free from the... Ladies, don't get any ideas. So now that she is free from... That's terrible, huh? <laughs> okay. Did you like that, Kyle? Do you think that was funny? Yeah, yes, it does. <laughs> Yes, it does, Kyle. Don't get any ideas. Slow down. Yeah. Okay. Okay, but back. Okay, back to the text here. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law. Verse two, verse three. According, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Okay. One plus one is two. He's, just, he's making very clear statements here. If a woman is married to a man and she goes and lives with another man, that is called what? Adultery. She is an adulteress by law. Yes. Because she is breaking the vow that she has made going and living. She is breaking the law that is made going and living with another man. But if the man dies, she is free to go and live with any man she chooses. If she wants to remarry, she can't according to the law she is free from that law and that binding with her husband right she's free from that marriage covenant she's free from that law okay so we see an illustration a picture being painted here for us to understand what paul is about to say he is illustrating his point verse 4 i what does he say what does he say in your uh, in your in the king james likewise Therefore, okay, what is it there for? You have to look back in context to see what it's there for. Yes, we're in verse 4. New King James, Kyle. New King James. Okay, that's, that's fine. King James is fine as well. But we're looking, the word therefore is to look back in context and to see what it is there for. I like the ESV. It says likewise, or attaching his context and statement here. My brothers, you also have what? Died to the law Through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. Okay, so Jesus has married us somehow. We have died to the law, it is saying. Remember, back to our illustration, the woman who is married to a man, but the man dies, she is now free to marry another. We were married to the law. And one has died. We have died to the law. And now, being the illustration being made clear, we are able to remarry and marry Jesus Christ. And that is what we have done. We have married Christ. We were married to who before? The law. The law. Mr. Perfect. Yes, the law. We were married to the law. And since we have come into Christ, we have died to the law, it says, and we are now married to Jesus, our King. We are the bride of Christ, are we not? So that you may belong to another. So why is it important to understand that we have been freed from the law or we are not married to the law anymore? I will illustrate. Let's get through this context first. Verse 5. For while we were living in the flesh, okay, living in the flesh, when was that? We were non-believers. When we were not seeking the ways of God, when we were living in the flesh in our sinful passions we were aroused by the law aroused by the law were at work in the members to bear fruit for death okay notice the phrase were were past tense we were married to the law we were in the in the ways of the flesh and we were aroused by the law Why were we aroused by the law? It will get into it later on in our text, but just briefly, when we were living in sin, when we were non-believers walking away from God, let's just picture this with me real quick. If you lived in a society where there was no law, no rules and regulations, you just did whatever you want, you stole from people, you killed people, you lusted and you did whatever you wanted, all the passions that you desired, you just did it. But there was no law. You were free to do whatever. You would never feel conviction, now would you? But look what happens as soon as a law is established. Like the red light cameras. Hmm, interesting. Before when you ran the red light, hey, there was no conviction. Maybe there was. Maybe there wasn't. (laughs) But hey, when you read that red light, it was no big deal. But all of a sudden now the law is in place. It arouses the sin from within you. Because you know that there is a penalty... When you break that law, huh? $500 penalty, that is. Yep, I have two. Yeah, isn't that ridiculous? Man, Josh, I thought you were holy. Nope. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I need God every day, even when I run red lights. And so I am paying the penalty for that. But see, before I was... You see, before I was in Christ, I was in the world... And before I saw the law, hey, there was no conviction. It's a party, man. But some of you have been raised in a Christian home, and so there has always been the law. And you have always felt conviction. You've always seen and understood what it meant to seek God and to abide by His rules. That's why the law arouses the sinful nature within us. You understand what it means? It says it arouses the sinful nature. It stirs it up. It wasn't there before. Like when I see a red light now, I'm, a, I'm aroused in a moment and I slam on the brakes because I'm scared to death of the law. You see, Mr. Perfect is watching me. You've been freed from the law. Not free from the red light camera. The law is still in your life. But it says that before, while you were living in the flesh and your sin, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in the members to bear fruit of death. You were destroying yourself when you were living in wickedness look at the next verse but now we are released from the law did you see that but now we are what released from the law having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code interesting we have been freed from the law what does that mean we have been freed from the law this is so important because the sad thing is is if I walked up to you and asked you what does it mean to be free from the law you probably couldn't tell me maybe 3% because they're living it but to be free from the law because you've married Jesus Christ you were married to who? Mr. Law and you have now died in Christ and now are remarried to him and so you were married to Christ and free from the law what does that mean? It's found in Jeremiah 31, free from the old way of the written code. Jeremiah 31. Turn there with me. Jeremiah 31. You've got to see this with your own eyes. Jeremiah chapter 31. We're going to see, just, just real quick, just, just a quick glance at what the new covenant is and what we have been freed from. Jeremiah 31, are you there? Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31, starting in verse 31. Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant they broke. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declaring the Lord. I will what? I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. Do you see that? And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord, for I will forgive them of their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. The new covenant that has come. What, what is the old covenant? We must understand first. The old covenant, the law. The law that came down through Moses was a bunch of rules and regulations that would tell you how to live life every single day. The law. Rules and regulations that would teach you and show you how to live life every single day. Like crazy things. Like things you would never think about. Like if your uh, cattle wanders off into someone else's yard, it says this in the Old Testament, someone else's field, and... The cattle falls into the, the hole and breaks his leg because you left the hole undone. You are to reimburse the man uh, whose cattle got his leg broken. Random stuff like that, okay? So that it can help you to understand how to live. And so there are all these rules and regulations that the Jews would have to keep to. And they are even still holding to many today, like Shabbat, Sabbath. Right? You've got to keep the Sabbath holy, right? You can't work, can't do anything. You're breaking the law of God. Like dietary things. You ever heard of the word kosher? You can't eat certain foods because it's against the law. Now, being free from that, being free from the law, being free from the old way, what does that mean? And married to Christ now, what does that mean? That you are free from the legalistic rules and regulations that have been placed upon you. The laws. Now, how can we be free from these things? Because we are now married to Christ. Which means what? You are forgiven of your sin and your wickedness that is going on inside. I'm going to dig in a little bit more as we get through the text. But that's just a foundation of meaning what what it means to be free from the law. I will eventually apply it to your own life. I just want you to have an Old Testament understanding. What does it mean in your life to be free from the law? Stay tuned. You're going to understand. Okay? We need to lay more of a foundation here. But that is the Old Covenant. That is the old covenant, the old written code that has been passed away with, and there's a new covenant that has been established as you are married to Christ, you are not married to the law anymore, you are now married to Jesus and he has a new law to set in place per se, okay? Verse 7, are you there? What then shall we say? That the law is sin? No, 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 the law is not bad. It says by no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would have not known sin. For I would have not known what it is to covet that the law had not said, you shall not covet. Okay, so because Mr. Perfect, we were married to him, but now we are married to Christ, does that mean that the law was sin and the law was a bad thing? No way. The law is what has told us what sin is. The law has established in our lives what is wrong. But now that we are free from it, Free from its condemnation, free from the guilt and the shame that it puts on our lives, we are now married to Christ where there is no condemnation. But we must not look back at the law and say, it is sin, it is wickedness. This is the point that Paul is about to establish here. Look at verse 8. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. But sin, listen again, seizing an opportunity through the commandment produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Sin took hold of him, seized an opportunity through the commandment. In what way? I'm not going to say just yet. I'm going to save it. It produced all kinds of covetousness inside of him. It produced lust inside of Paul's own heart and mind through the commandments how could it happen through the commandments you know what? i'm going to paint the picture i'll do it we got to look at context here who are we who are we speaking about who's paul who is paul in contact he is this man who was a pharisee of pharisee a sadducee of sadducees he was a jew a roman citizen this guy knew the law better than anyone and he kept the law perfect they're very close Hey, the Old Testament rules and regulations as a Jew, Paul kept them all. He was kosher. Yep. He did all the things that he was supposed to do. He was a good Jew. He did all that he was supposed to do as a Pharisee. He was very well respected. He was holy in the eyes of the people. Paul, the great Paul, his name was Saul then. Saul of Tarsus. But he was a very holy man. He did everything right and perfect. Now look. According to his standards, as a Pharisee, he would say what? Because I have done all these righteous things, I will what? I will get to heaven one day. Because I have done good in God's eyes, I will get there. And I will achieve great blessings. But we know that what? Nobody is perfect enough to get to heaven, not even Paul. Paul. And so what happened? He had to let go of his law and let go of his righteousness and cling on to Christ Jesus as his sole purpose and meaning for salvation. Meaning that because of his good works, they don't even matter. Your good works, Paul's good works are like what? Filthy rags before God. And so when he came into a relationship with Jesus Christ, all of a sudden, none of those works mattered anymore. None of those things he's not going to be held to anymore. But what would be the standard that Paul would try and put into his life every single day, probably of his life. Listen, stay with me. Let me establish this before I say that again. Paul was trying to get to heaven by doing good things. We know that no one can get to heaven through doing good things. The only way is through Jesus Christ. But because Paul practiced good things all the days of his life and was so good and was so holy and was so blameless before the people, when he came into a relationship with Jesus Christ, now he would think what? He knows and understands by Jesus alone I have made it to heaven. By Jesus alone I am forgiven. By Jesus alone I have salvation. But what would his flesh try to do? I can work. I can do good things and it's going to earn me blessings in heaven. And so it would cause him to covet righteousness. It would cause him to covet and desire this self-righteousness, like I have been good enough, and I am a good enough Christian, and I am a good enough apostle, and I've established this many churches, and I've wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, and it would cause him to be self-righteous and to covet even within his own heart. It's like a double-edged sword, isn't it? It is so terrible. I'm going to get into it even more. Bear with me. Stay with me. Paul says, sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead, right? No law, hey, there's no such thing as sin. No law, who cares about sin? But if there's law, we are to be scared when we sin. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. Let me say it again. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. When he saw the law, when Paul came in in contact with the law, he was living a wicked life. When he came in contact with the law, he was convicted and he died inside. He was destroyed because of what was happening. When you see the law, you will die. Destruction takes place. Sin comes alive when you see the law and you see your destruction. You see your wickedness. Maybe you saw it in your own life. Do you remember the day when you were convicted? Do you remember the day when God grabbed you and said, what are you doing with your life? He struck you. All of a sudden, you lie dead before Him. Before, you were just living, partying, doing whatever you want to do, maybe even rebellion against your parents. I don't care. I'm gonna do it. All of a sudden, God showed you your sin and showed you your wickedness. And all of a sudden, you were stopped in your tracks, standing there, dead look at verse 10 the very commandment that promised life proved to be to me death proved to be death to me he says the very commandments that promised life proved to be death the old testament says it clearly does it not if you keep the commands of the lord you will have what life you're going to be blessed and so what do you try to do you try to keep the law as best you possibly can But in trying to keep the law, you will see that you fall short. Trying to keep the law, you will see your wickedness, how wicked you really are. And so he says the very law, the law that I'm speaking about, is supposed to bring life. Yes. Did you know this? If you could live the law perfectly, you could get to heaven without Jesus. Did you know that? If you could live a perfect life, you could get to heaven without Jesus. Yeah. So the old covenant promised. The only problem is no one can live a perfect life except Jesus. There's only one. And he gave that life to you when you came into the marriage covenant with him. He gave that perfection to you when you came into that relationship with him. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. The law shows you your sin. For sin seized an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me through it, and killed me. Verse 12, so the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Okay. Let's establish some things here. Let me go back to the beginning here so we can get the picture all the way through. Okay. The picture Paul brings, because he's saying, hey, you know the law, you know and understand it. Hey, when a woman's married to a man, she has to abide by the law. The only way that she could remarry or be free from the law is for her husband to die. Paul gives this picture and then compares it to the relationship that we have with Jesus. That we were what? Stuck with the law before. Before Christ, your only way to get to heaven was by the law. You've got to live perfect. Because you haven't lived perfect, you were damned to hell but because of Jesus Christ and coming into a relationship with Him, you have died to the law and you are now married to Jesus Christ. And so now guess what? You get to go to heaven not by the law, not by the good things that you do, but because of what Jesus Christ has done. And so I say to you tonight, do you still try to do good things in life because you think it's going to score you brownie points in heaven? Do you do good things today So that God will be pleased and blessed with you. This is my question. This is the underlining factor of this entire text. Every morning when you open your Bible, why do you do it? Do you do it so that at the end of the day you'll say, read my Bible today, God's happy with me. That sounds like you're trying to do things in the Old Testament like the law. I kept the law. I did what was right. And so God is pleased with me. Wait a minute. God is not pleased with you because you've kept the law. He is pleased with you because of what Jesus Christ has done and because you're in a relationship with Him. Hey, because you woke up in the morning and prayed, do you pat yourself on the back and say, man, I spent time with God today. Hey, God's probably happy with me. Wrong! He is not happy with you because you kept the law. He is happy with you because of what Jesus Christ has done. The work is finished. Stop working stop trying to do things in order for God to be pleased with you you thought because you went and shared with somebody on the street God's patting you on the back like that's my boy that's my girl man sharing the gospel yeah you think that God is extra pleased with you because you went and shared Christ wrong he is extra pleased with you because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you he lived a perfect life and gave it to you when God looks at you he sees Jesus Christ's perfect life and says well done good job you did a great job and you're like I didn't do a great job he's like yes you did because you have my son's seal and approval of his life you see because you went to church multiple times this week and because you're even here tonight receiving a message you must never think to yourself I did something good and God is pleased with me because of that wrong you must look to the cross and see that the only reason Anything good has come in your life is because of what Jesus has done for you. It's not because you read your Bible. It is not because you pray. It is not because you share Christ. It is not because you go to church. It's not because you do any, even because you live a godly life. That is not why God is pleased with you. That's not why God is happy with you. You've got to stop thinking and and desiring to please God by doing a bunch of good stuff. You've got to recognize that God is already completely pleased with you because of what Christ has done for you. I cannot say it loud enough. You've got to understand this concept. Look, God is not going to be more pleased with you today if you read your Bible or you don't. Did you know that? Why? Because Jesus read His Bible every day for you and gave you that life. God is not going to be more pleased with you today if you pray and spend time with Him. No! You can't do anything good to earn His favor. He's given you His favor because of what Christ has done. Jesus prayed every single day for you. Look, you can't get more brownie points with God because you go to church. Wrong. You've gotten all the brownie points you could ever get in heaven because of Jesus, our King. He went to church. He did it all. He did it perfect, and He gave you that righteousness. And so you are free from the law. Stop trying to fulfill the law. Stop trying to fulfill the old covenant. Stop trying to do, 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 do those things so that God will be happy and say, "Wow, you did a great job. He's already clapping and applauding, and He is blessed with you because of what Jesus has done. If you can understand this, it will literally blow your mind into another level of walking with God that I can't, Look, I'm going to say something that most preachers would never say to you. And the reason why is because they're scared of the repercussions of saying it. If you have truly believed on Jesus Christ, listen to me. This is awesome. If you have truly believed on Jesus Christ, you've accepted Him as your Lord and Savior, and you are now married to Him in a covenant with Him. That music. Listen, listen. Stay with me. Don't be distracted. Gird up your minds. Gird up your minds, Kyle. Your mind. (laughs) Gird up up your mind, Kyle. Stay with me, brother. Listen, I'm going to say something that most preachers would never tell you because they're scared of the repercussions. If you have truly committed your life to Jesus Christ, you could not read your Bible, pray, go to church. And share even with one person for the rest of your entire life. And God will still look you in the face and say, well done, good and faithful servant. How could God say that to him? How could God say that to her? How? This is how. Because Jesus did the work for you already. You are not saved by anything that you do. Jesus has done it all for you and given it to you freely. And that's the only reason you get to walk in heaven. You mean, Josh, tomorrow I could wake up and not do my devotions? Yes and God will be completely satisfied and pleased with you and blessed by you because of what Jesus has done on the cross. But you see, when you truly understand what Jesus has done for you on the cross and what He has given you and the righteousness that He's imputed into your account, it causes you to want to burn for Him like never before and read the Word every day and spend time in prayer and love on Him and share Christ with people like never before. It does the complete opposite when you truly understand what it means to follow Christ. Does this give us a license of sin, it says there in 7? No. No. But listen, tomorrow, if you don't read your Bible, don't condemn yourself, because God is not condemning you. He's saying, Jesus read al- already for you today. You're good. I'm still pleased with you. I'm still blessed with you. I'm still proud of you. You're still my son. You're still my daughter. I'm not upset with you. Why does it say in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? Because when you sin and you beat yourself up, God's saying, why are you doing that? When you don't read your Bible, God's saying, why are you doing that? Why are you beating yourself up? Why are you so upset with yourself? I'm not. Jesus has done the work completely for you already. And so, family, listen to me. You do not have to live a life burdened for the rest of your life, saying, Oh, I gotta read every day. I gotta pray every day. I gotta go to church. I gotta say, Oh, I gotta do this, or or God's not gonna be happy, God's gonna be upset with me. No, no, no. It's already done. It is finished. Stop trying to walk up to the cross and saying, God, I got an extra five bucks for you to help pay for this thing. He paid for it. The price has been paid for you to get to heaven. The price has been paid for God to be pleased with you. You've been freed from the law. Stop trying to live up to the standard of the law and just enjoy Jesus. Just enjoy Him. Just hang out and have a blast in this life. Jesus said, you know those 600 laws that were put on your Old Testament? I'm just going to tell you two because I don't want you to be burdened. Just love God and love people, okay? You just do that. You just walk with me. When you mess up, just get on your knees, repent, come back. It's okay. I'm not, I'm not upset. I died for that. Oh, you forgot to read today? No biggie, I read already. Hey, you miss out on being fed and encouraged and built up. But you know what? I'm not bummed. I love you. I'm waiting for you to come back. God is never displeased with you. He is not displeased with you because he has been pleased by Jesus. He is pleased with Jesus. He is pleased with Jesus. And because he is pleased with Jesus, that means he's pleased with you. Because Jesus gave his life For you. For you. And so now we get to watch this battle that goes on inside Paul because he understands this. He's tripping out, man. Watch this. Watch this in the text. Watch why he gets so ticked off at himself. It's awesome, man. It's it's the same thing that I go through. Same thing that you go through. Hmm. Where are we at? Ah, uh, yes, we're in 13, aren't we? Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might be sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of what? The flesh and sold under sin. Hey, we have the Spirit of God living in us, but we still have the flesh on, huh? These bodies are dying, huh? And so, hey, that, little, that sinful nature is still in us to want to do what is wrong. But, hey, the Spirit of God, the law of my mind, the law of the Spirit is in Him. For I do not understand my own actions, he says. Verse 15. You ever been there? I don't understand why I do this. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree. If I do what I do not want, I agree with the law. And that is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Okay, stop there. So Paul starts to speak about the struggle that he has within him. He wants to do what's right. Because of what Christ has done for him. But he does what is wrong all the time. And he fights back and forth with himself. This is what I can see happening in Paul's mind. Who is a Pharisee, remember? He was the one who kept the law perfect. But now he comes into this relationship with Jesus. And this relationship with Jesus is really based upon nothing that he has done. And so now Paul might try to do things like this would happen. Like I could see Paul going and preaching the gospel and just rejoicing like, Yeah! The gospel went out. Praise God. He's so stoked. He's so fired up. But then all of a sudden his flesh comes in and starts doing what? Oh, you just did that because what? You just did that so you get props. You just did that so you you can, you can be pleased with, so God will be pleased with you, huh? Just like the old days. You're trying to be a Pharisee again. You're trying to earn yourself. These things will start to war inside of him where he'd say, man, what I want to do, I don't do. What I wish I would do, I, I'm far from it. And, and we can deal with sin, but I think it's more pertaining to self-righteousness. But the sin issue, you see it clearly and we can touch on that. That, hey, there are things inside of you, There's there are days when you just want to shout and lift up and bless God, and other days when you just feel so wicked inside, you just want to run from God and do the complete opposite. How does that work? It's because you're still in the shell of sin. There's nothing good in you. Did you know that? You're like, no, there's a couple good things in me. Okay. I mean, you know, I got a nice jacket and everything. You know, it's like, it's pretty good, right? No, no, it's not good at all. Well, I like to smile and stuff. Okay, it's not good. There's nothing in you that is good. And this is how we know. Because you will go tomorrow morning and do your devotions. And you'll be blessed by the living God. But then you will pat yourself on the back say, man, God's happy with me because I read today. That's how you can see there's nothing good in you. Because you are trying to earn the righteousness of God when Jesus has already done it. It's a slap in the face of the king. Saying, I can do something to earn God's blessing. And Jesus is saying, I already did it. I could see Jesus walking around with this day in and day out saying, Josh, Josh, you just, just enjoy me. Stop trying to do things stop trying to do things for your own gain just enjoy me just live from me just walk with me and I could see Paul going around because he had kept the law so perfectly struggling day and night to not keep the law perfectly anymore but to just do it because he loves Jesus but to just do it because he's a great king just do it because he's forgiven not because he's trying to earn some standard you've set up standards in your life haven't you And what have you done it for? Have you done it because you want to bless God? Have you done it because you're trying to earn some favor? I hope you do it just because you simply love Him and love to obey His commands for no other reason. Don't set up rules and regulations in your life and then break them and then condemn yourself. Look, if you've broken the standard, Jesus wasn't holding you to it anyways because He already lived it. He already did it. He's just saying, walk with me. Just live with me. Just enjoy me. That's grace. God is not expecting anything from you because he expected it from Jesus and got it all already. You've got to understand this concept. When you understand it, it will free you from living this burdensome Christian life. There's so many, I can't live this Christian life. It's so hard. It's so burdensome. It's so hard. Jesus lived it already for you, man. Accept his grace and just enjoy Christ. And the sin comes and haunts you, huh? Me too. Just like Paul. He's like, I'm fed up with myself. I can't do this anymore. In- I, I hate the things that I do. I want to do right, but I keep doing wrong. So what's the answer? What's the solution? A lot of people write books on solutions, huh? That's not the answer. A lot of people write all the hows. How to do. How to do. How to abstain from sexual immorality, Right? How to read your Bible in a year, right? How to pray and get close how to there is no how to, there is no how. it is him. it is him. it is found in one man, one king his name is Jesus look at verse 19 "For I do not do what I want, but the evil I do not what is not what is I'm sorry, want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not, a little tongue twister here, do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Yes, it's true. Yes, it is true. I wish I had more time to dig into that. But he says here, closing down, verse 21, so if I find it to be the law that when I want to do right, evil lies at my hand. For I delight in the law of God, right? We love the law of God. We love to bless him, my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Okay. So Paul is expressing the struggle that he has. He says, oh, how I did, just like you guys. Oh, how you what? Desire to please God. You desire to want to bless God. Not, again, to receive a bunch of glory. Not to earn position in heaven. But you just want to do it because you love God. But what always happens? Our flesh stirs up. Even after this sermon tonight. Why do I come to preach to you tonight? Because I want you to be blessed, family. I want you to be built up. I want you to be encouraged. But what will happen afterwards? I want to do it just to bless God and to bless His people. But what will happen afterwards? You'll come up and say, Gosh, great message, Josh. Thanks for ministering to me. That really opened my eyes. And what will I do? God's pleased with me. God's blessed because I preached a good sermon. Wrong. My flesh stirs up. I do what I don't want to do. Oh, how I desire not to receive glory for myself, but to bless my God. But I always, my sinful nature always flares up and tries to receive the glory every single time. Oh, wretched man that I am, he yells. With an exclamation mark. Do you see it? He says it right there in verse 24. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who? Not how. Not how. Who? It's not a 12-step program. It's none of that, okay? It's not a program at church. It's not any... It's not a class. Who will deliver me from this? Who will keep me from falling into sin? Who is the one who will stop me from trying to steal glory for myself there's only one verse 25 thanks be to god through jesus christ our lord yes it's jesus man it's just jesus stuff man it's jesus man that's what it's about it's about jesus our king it's just getting close to him it's just being with him that's the key I really can't make it any more simple. I don't know how to say it and break it down for you. It's just being with Jesus and walking with Him. Stop trying to fulfill the law. Stop trying to do a bunch of stuff at church. Stop trying to do all these things so you can earn favor. Just walk with Jesus. Just enjoy Him. Stop trying to earn favor with God. It says the last verse here, the end of the last verse. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind. But with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. It's true, man. The flesh just wants to serve sin. And I war within myself all the days of my life. Did you know that's going to happen tomorrow? You're going to wake up to do devotions and you're going to what? You're going to try to pat yourself on the back like you fulfilled the law perfectly. Man, I'm perfect. So good. I deserve a blessing today, right? God's going to bless me. That's another big point. Isn't it interesting how you think because you've done a bunch of good stuff that now God's going to give you that job? Oh, if I, if, I, if I don't sin this week, then God's going to get me that job. Oh, if I read my Bible every day, then this is going to happen. Oh, if I pray a bunch, then this is going to happen. Wait a minute. As if the blessings are contingent upon what you have done. None of your blessings have anything to do with you. They have everything to do with Jesus and what he has done for you. Stop thinking because you've served God enough that God's going to bless you. He's going to bless you because of what Jesus has done. All the blessings are yea and amen in Christ Jesus your lord. Yeah. Oh man, I love this chapter. I'm like I'm just floating right now. Because I'm ministering to my own heart. Oh, how I have condemned myself because I haven't been faithful in my devotions. Oh, how I have gotten on myself because I've fallen into sin and I, I, I God can't bless me. God can't use me because of the Wait a minute. It has nothing to do with me. I'm married to Christ Jesus. I'm not married to the law anymore. I'm not under the law. That's Old Testament. That's the way they used to do it. This is a new covenant. And so I say to you tonight, Romans eight one. You got to read the first two verses, okay? Miss we close. There is therefore now, because of all of this, because of this big chapter we just covered, because of it, because of it, there is what. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so I say to you tonight, stop condemning yourself. Stop it because God is not condemning you. Stop trying to fulfill the law. Stop condemning yourself and just enjoy Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Amen. You know what the law is for your life? Love God, love people. But what do I do in this situation, Josh? You're under the new covenant, go seek Jesus. What do I do when I'm walking across the field and I see a man's donkey fall in the hole? What do you do? Better go ask God. Go ask Jesus. That's the new covenant. You are to seek God for wisdom. You have a relationship with Christ. The relationship is not the law anymore. It's not a bunch of it's not a big instruction manual. Your relationship with God is free flowing and active. It is you talking, communicating with God every single day, walking in the spirit. What do I do when I go into Walmart and I see a lady in need? Ask Jesus. Go to him about it. You don't have the law anymore to instruct you. You have Christ to instruct you. You have a relationship with Him. You're in a new covenant with Him. Live in the Spirit. Don't condemn yourself any longer. Amen? You're free. You're free in Jesus' name. You are free to go and live for Christ. Stop putting burdens on your lives that you can't fulfill. You're never going to fulfill them. Just enjoy Jesus. Recognize he did it all for you already. And you're free in Jesus' name. Father, I pray for this group. Oh, God, that they would live it out. Oh, Lord, that tomorrow when we try to condemn ourselves because we haven't been faithful enough that we would look to the cross and see that Jesus was faithful for me. I don't have to be faithful. But because Jesus was faithful, I want to be faithful with all of my heart. Because He's given me His life, I want to live for Him like never before. I can't believe the righteousness You have put into my account, God. I can't believe that it goes so far that I can't condemn myself. That I can't get upset with myself because you're not. I can't believe that you're completely pleased with me, Father. That you would let me into the doors of heaven. That you would use me here on this pulpit tonight. Do you know who I am, God? Do you know what I've done? And you'd say, Joshua, I'm going to use you. Not because of what you have done, but because of what Christ has done. And I say, thank you for that, Father. Lord, as I have instructed the group, oh, please do what only the Holy Spirit can come and do. Help these seeds to blossom in their lives. Help them to discover grace even more so. The gospel of grace, freedom from the law, freedom from legalism. Help them to grab onto it and to understand it and to just live for you. Bless them. Thank you for the work you've done in us. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.